This month, as we approach another presidential election year, the holiday season overlaps with the political season. Not long after ringing in the new year, Iowa residents will caucus to declare themselves for a presidential candidate. Welcome to Copyright Clearance Center's podcast series. I'm Christopher Keneally for Beyond the Book. Much is made of TV debates and social media for their influence on voters, but even in the election of 2016, books remain critical. Those willing to read more than 140 characters are rewarded with insights and analysis beyond sound bites and gotcha moments gone viral. From New York, Publishers Weekly senior writer Andrew Albanese joins me with a holiday reading list for the literary citizen. Welcome back to Beyond the Book, Andrew. Hey there, Chris. Well, you know, as we are speaking of seasons, the calendar does feel a little bit muddled, at least here in the Northeast, where the December weather feels more like May. And in the upcoming issue of PW, the last one for 2015, by the way, it's also spring. What's up with that? Yeah, that's right. Monday's issue is our annual spring announcements issue, in which PW editors run down some of the big titles that will be coming out in the first part of 2016. And as PW readers no doubt know, uh, we do two of these a year. There's the fall and the spring announcements issues. Uh, and this is kind of reflective of how the publishing industry has evolved. You know, basically there are just two selling seasons nowadays as the internet has made announcing and selling books a, a much more fluid affair. I think grizzled old vets like me still remember when seasonal catalogs required much more effort and we did three or four of them a year. But yes, in our announcements issue, I'll give you the rundown. It's basically 50 to 60 of the top titles in 20 different categories categories of books. And in addition, the editors choose our top 10 books, uh, which are books that are likely to get a lot of interest uh, and that we want to sort of call out for booksellers and librarians. So those books will be featured in Monday's issue. Right. And you share that responsibility around the office. And for Andrew Albanese, there's there's one category that I imagine you rather enjoy looking at. <laughs> Indeed. I pulled together the politics and current events list. And you know, it's the sleepy, quiet world of politics these days, right? <laughs> All right. So maybe not so much as we head into this heated primary season. And I'll spare you the full list. You can check that out in Monday's issue or online, of course, on Friday afternoon uh, today. But you know, what was very difficult for me this year, especially was to pare this list down to just 50, 52 titles, given the hundreds and hundreds of titles that are coming out this spring. You know, Generally, I'll say, as you might expect, uh, there are a lot of books this year on the rise of ISIS and Middle East politics. And among my top 10, I'll give you a small taste. There's a, a great memoir from NBC News chief foreign correspondent Richard Engel, who's basically spent his whole career living in a war zone, reporting from a war zone. Uh, there's a new book coming out from Sebastian Younger. That he writes about our vets and how they're returning home. And there are some great books about the political process, excuse me, more broadly, including one on how redistricting has changed the game for the GOP. Some would say rigged the game. Uh, and also there's two books that are, are really interesting on the way politics is covered. Uh, one of them on the rise of Fox News and other conservative outlets. So, you know, there's a lot to look forward to in 2016 in many categories. So um, we'll have uh, a the ability to start making plans for what you're going to read next year uh, in Monday's issue of PW. Right. You have to get that reading done before you go vote. I don't think you're allowed <laughs> to have a book in the booth. Um, so as we round out 2015 heading into 2016, we might as well 
talk about that perennial topic we enjoy here, which is, of course, Apple. And this week, you have a story on the amicus briefs that were filed in Apple's behalf, appending its own Supreme Court bid. Tell us what those briefs said and, and how you think they might play with the court. Yeah, absolutely. This week, and we finally had the chance to read and run down all the amicus briefs in Apple's bid to have its ebook price fixing case heard by the Supreme Court. And for Apple, they've marshaled some support here. In all, there were seven briefs filed, and all seven support Apple's bid to have their ebook case heard uh, by the Supreme Court. And more broadly, they all urged the court to reverse the case. Now, we'd already talked two weeks ago about the joint brief that was filed by the Authors Guild and Barnes and & Noble and Douglas Preston's group, Authors United. Uh, that brief supported Apple's contention that the price-fixing case was judged by the wrong legal standard. The district court, users will recall, found that Apple and the publishers had engaged in a per se case of price-fixing. That is a case where the restraint imposed is so outside the bounds of competition that it is condemned without exploring other market circumstances, uh, such as you know the ebook market in general. Rather than the per se standard, Apple and its supporters argued that the case required a more stringent rule of reason analysis, and that analysis, its supporters say, would have justified uh, Apple prevailing in this case. So the six additional briefs all press that very same point. And the majority of the latest briefs also stress that since Apple's deal with the publishers was a novel arrangement, and because there is no significant history to draw on in the ebook business, the per se standard is especially unreasonable. So who filed those briefs? Well, one group we know pretty well. They're called the, the Software Alliance, or BSA. That's a trade group that includes uh, companies like Adobe, for example, and IBM. But mostly it was think tanks uh, and groups of conservative lawyers and economists, including Keith Hilton, who our readers may recognize from railing against Judge Coe in the Apple verdict in his pages of the Wall Street Journal. The, basically, the argument is from these legal scholars that the per se rules only should follow you know, well-trodden and familiar fact patterns. Uh, and that given the newness of the industry, that there's just no way you could have that body of experience here. And more generally, the briefs suggest that the per se rule in antitrust, to quote these briefs are a relic, that recent Supreme Court uh, precedent requires rule of reason examinations for virtually everything that per se is just virtually no longer part of the legal canon here. Uh, I'm not sure that's the case, but that's the argument. Yeah, well, Andrew Albanese, you may not have your Juris Doctor, but uh, we let you play a lawyer here on Beyond the Book. <laughs> I feel like I do sometimes. <laughs> sometimes right? you certainly <laughs> sound like you do. So, so you've looked at these briefs. Do they have a point? Without my, my JD, I will say possibly. Uh, and in the abstract, almost definitely they have a point. But the problem for Apple, and I think I've said this before on this podcast, is the evidence in the case. You know, if you read the briefs from Apple and its supporters, they do make a very, very compelling case for overturning the verdict or for at least having it reheard by the Supreme Court. But if you actually read the case file in the Apple ebook case and the decisions of the district and the, and the appeals court, you'll see a very different case than the one Apple and its supporters want you to see. And I think it speaks to the strength of the facts in evidence that three of the four judges who have looked at this case agree that applying the per se standard, while it is extraordinary, is actually warranted in this case. And both Judge Coe and the appeals court took great pains in their decisions to point out that uh, despite Apple's protests, this case was really never about innovation or the iPad. This case was always really very simply about the removal of price competition from the retail sector for ebooks. Uh, the DOJ now has until January 4th 
2016. So when we get back on our next podcast, we'll likely have some news to report there. It doesn't have to file a brief opposing Apple's bid to the Supreme Court, but my guess is that they will. And as wishy-washy as this is going to sound, I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's a 50-50 that the high court takes this case. Maybe they will. Maybe they won't. Uh, if the court wants to articulate that the per se standard is appropriate, maybe that it is a relic, as some of these scholars claim, then it would probably take the case. Uh, and it only takes four judges to say yes uh, for the case to be heard before the Supreme Court. Uh, but looking really closely at the case, are the judges going to see a strong enough body of evidence here to proceed? And I still think no. Uh, the court takes 60 to 80 cases a year, I think, and more than eight to 10,000 petitions a year to be, have cases heard. You know, it just to me, this case on the facts of the case, as we know them, does not really seem to be worth their time. But again, we will see. So you can expect the court to decide uh, sometime really early in 2016. And when we get back from the holidays, we will most likely have a DOJ brief to talk about as well on this podcast. Well, and as you just said, the magic words, 2016, it will not be until 2016 that we have the uh, the decision on that. And it won't be until 2016 that we talk again, Andrew. So I want to wish you and everyone there at PW a very happy holiday and a happy new year. And uh, looking forward to having you back on the program right after the turn of the of the year and the new calendar uh, for January. Well, thank you and happy holidays to you and happy holidays to all of our listeners. Uh, and finally, and of course, uh, not at all least, we want to wish uh, our co-producer Jeremy Brisky a very happy holiday and happy 2016 as well. Beyond the Book is produced by Copyright Clearance Center, a global rights broker for the world's most sought-after materials, including millions of books and e-books, journals, newspapers, magazines, and blogs, as well as images, movies, and television shows. You can follow Beyond the Book on Twitter, find us on Facebook, and subscribe to the free podcast series on iTunes or at our website, beyondthebook.com. Our engineer and co-producer is Jeremy Brisky of Burst Marketing. My name is Christopher Keneally. For all of us at Copyright Clearance Center... Thanks for listening to Beyond the Book. 